So Nick, my oral boards are nearly upon me. I'm going to be taking them in December. Man, Faye, I am feeling kind of lucky because mine are after yours in January, um, but the heat is starting to get turned up. How are you studying? So one of the ways that I'm studying um, is by going onto the OBG project and taking a look at their most up-to-date information to make sure that I am studied up on GYN because I don't practice GYN anymore. I'm going back through my bookshelf articles to take a look at some of those high yield topics from GYN that I just don't remember. Um, but they've also got a ton of great other information regarding obstetrics, certainly, um, but then even just professionalism things um, and life as a physician. Yeah, absolutely. And so you don't need to just be studying for your oral boards to appreciate and use OBG Project. You can also use it if you are a resident or an attending and you're just studying up to make sure that you are practicing um, good OBGYN. You can also join us to get OBG first and make your very own bookshelf and go back to those resources that you like. And if you are a fourth year resident, you can actually sign up for one whole year free. Head on over to our website, check out the sidebar, figure out how you can get OBG first for a whole year, absolutely free. All right, guys, welcome back. This is Faye. This is Nick. Creogs over coffee. So today we're going to be talking about vulvar intraepithelial neoplasia. So Nick, talk to us about our learning objectives for today. First, we'll understand terminology and qualifications for the different stages of vulvar intraepithelial neoplasia, or from here on out, VIN. We'll discuss the diagnosis of VIN, and then we'll know the treatment options for VIN and when to refer. Um, one thing that I just want to be clear about from the top is that we're not going to discuss the treatment today of vulvar cancer. If you're finding that on a biopsy, that should really go off to your oncologist. So send that out there. Um, and then you can also follow along today with committee opinion 675, which is the management of VIN. So Faye, we call this VIN, but I think once upon a time, we may have heard about this, like more akin to our pap smear kind of stuff, like V-SIL or something like that. But regardless of what we call it, why do we care? Yeah, so VIN, and we'll talk a little bit about like terminology and things like that in a little bit, but the way that I learned it was vulvar intraepithelial neoplasia. The reason we care is because it's becoming increasingly more common, especially in women in their 40s. VIN has actually increased more than four times from 1973 to 2000, and we should be considering it as a pre-malignant condition, just like your CIN, for example. And so the way that we classify this has changed a lot over time, but most recently we have used things like low-grade squamous intraepithelial lesion of the vulva, and that's for your low-grade changes in the same way that you would say LSIL for PAP for like your cervical changes. These are the low-grade changes that come from HPV infections and usually present as things like genital warts. And then we have HSIL of the vulva, um, again, similar to HSIL of the cervix, which is used for high-grade changes that come from HPV infections, which can then lead to precancerous lesions. And this used to be called VIN usual type um, for those of us that, you know, learned it a little bit differently before. And this can be further categorized into warty type, basaloid type, or mixed, or warty or basaloid. And then the last one that I think that, you know, we learned previously as residents, Nick, is this VIN differentiated type. And differentiated sounds 
better almost because, you know, you kind of want things to be a little bit better differentiated mm-hmm. when it comes to talking about neoplasias. Um, but this simply means that it comes from things like lichen sclerosis and not from HPV infections. So why this change? The International Society for the Study of Vulvovaginal Diseases, or the ISSVD, has recommended that these terms be used to unify the nomenclature of HPV-associated squamous lesions of the lower genital tract, so that we, when we refer to things like L-cell or H-cell, um, we kind of know what we're talking about, whether it's in regards to the cervix or whether it's in regards to the vulva. All of these are based on histopathologic findings, and we'll include a table of the 2015 terminology from the ISSVD um, compared to the previous 2004 terminology. All right, Nick, so that's kind of our terminology. How do we actually diagnose VIN? The unfortunate thing about VIN is that there's really not a screening strategy that exists for it aside from what you already do, I guess, with your pap smears and HPV testing. Detection of VIN usually is just visual inspection and seeing something that you're like, huh, that doesn't look quite right and you feel like you need to biopsy it, as you might um, for other vulvar conditions like we've talked about previously on the podcast. So what exactly does it look like? Um, It's got a really varied appearance. Most lesions will be raised to some degree, but some can be flat. Um, And generally what piques our interest or kind of draws our eye to it is that there's some sort of discoloration of the skin. Um, And again, this can be really variable. It could be white, gray, red, brown, or even black colored skin um, in the background of the patient's normal skin tone that, again, just doesn't look particularly correct. Again, if you have a suspicion for a precancerous or a cancerous lesion of the vulva, the right thing to do is to biopsy. And this allows us to make a definitive diagnosis um, and allow us to rule out other diagnoses that might be present, like lichen sclerosis. Biopsies should definitely be performed in postmenopausal women with apparent genital warts, and in women of all ages with genital warts where topical therapies have failed, again because of the association with HPV and precancerous changes here. Colposcopy can actually also be useful for VIN. Um, Just remember, though, that it's a little bit different and that you really need to soak the vulva in acetic acid with a gauze pad for several minutes in order to do effective colposcopy here. All right, Faye, so... Now that we've talked about how things look um, and getting a diagnosis, how do we treat these vulvar lesions? Yeah, so we definitely need to treat all vulvar H-cell or what we previously called VIN usual type. And this is divided into things like surgery, laser, and medical therapy, which you know we can talk through. Surgery is really that wide local excision, and this should be done if there's any suspicion for cancer. And there can be occult invasion even if the initial biopsy is just vulvar H-cell or VI unusual type. The general principle is that you should include a gross margin of about half to one centimeter around tissue with visible disease. And this may be altered to try and avoid injury to critical structures like the clitoris, the urethra, the anus, or other structures. But if lesions are in these critical areas, then you really should refer that patient to a specialist to avoid impaired psychosexual function. So for example, if there's extensive lesions around the perineum, reaching back to the anus, around the clitoris, and you don't feel comfortable, like you could put that back together in a cosmetically pleasing way um, or in a way that would um, allow the patient to continue to have that function, then you really should be referring that patient to somebody else. If clear margins are present in the excised tissue, there's a much lower risk of recurrence, and that's why there's the recommendation for that gross margin of 0.5 to 1 centimeter around the tissue. 
What else can we try, Nick? The next therapy you could think about um, is laser ablation therapy. Um, and laser ablation therapy can be done if occult invasion is not a concern. You can use it actually in a wide variety of circumstances with single, multifocal, or confluent lesions. One of the caveats, though, is that with laser ablation therapy, risk for recurrence may be higher than with excision outright. Colposcopy can help delineate the lesion's margins in order to effectively use laser ablation. And as with excision, you should aim for about a half centimeter to a one centimeter margin to be treated. Unlike with genital warts in VIN, um, the entire thickness of the epithelium has to be treated. And so that's the other thing to consider with laser ablation therapy is, again, you don't want to get just the superficial point. You really have to get the full thickness of the epithelium. Faye, I also heard that you can do kind of some medical therapy for this too. Yeah, exactly. And so you can try something like topical imiquimod 5%. I have to admit, we didn't really prescribe this as residents, but the regimens that have been published include things like um, using topical imiquimod three times a week and applied to the affected area for something as long as 12 to 20 weeks. So you really have to counsel your patients that they need to have strict adherence to this. Um, you can then do a colposcopic assessment at four to six weeks to see how the area is being treated by the amiquimod. However, if there are residual lesions at that time, then those lesions do require surgical treatment because your concern is that um, there could be potentially occult invasive cancer. Let's say you have a patient who comes to you and, you know, they have VI unusual type or H-cell of the vulva and you perform your treatment for that patient. What type of surveillance um, do we give, Nick? Because, you know, of course, I understand as a patient, their con main concern is that this could advance to cancer. Yeah. And I think one of the unfortunate things about this particular condition is that the recurrence rate can be really high despite whatever treatment route you consider. Um, published recurrence rates are as high as 9 to 50%. Um, and those are certainly higher if there's positive margins on a surgical excision. Um, and the recurrence rate is also lower in patients who are treated successfully with surgery. Um, We'll admit, though, according to the committee opinion, follow-up has been fairly limited in most studies, so it may be a little bit difficult to really discuss recurrence rates, but note that they can be fairly high. Women who have vulvar HCL are at a high risk of recurrence during their lifetime and of progression um, to squamous cell carcinoma. So with therapy, really we should be looking for a complete response and then looking for new lesions at follow-up visits. Um, those follow-up visits should be scheduled at 6 and 12 months after the initial treatment and should include a full visual inspection of the vulva to look for those new lesions. All right, Faye, I think that does it for VIN or vulvar squamous intraepithelial lesions. Um, why don't we summarize? Sure. So we first talked about why we need to care about VIN, and that's because it's becoming increasingly more common, especially in women in their 40s. We have a new classification system from 2015 suggested by the ISSVD, which is to classify vulvar lesions the way that we do all lower genital tract regions. So low-grade squamous intraepithelial lesion of the vulva and high-grade squamous intraepithelial lesion of the vulva to describe the different changes from HPV, and then also differentiated type VIN, which can be changes from from lichen sclerosis. Um, this is to be contrasted with the 2004 terminology where we used to call L-cell of the vulva things like condyloma and H-cell things like usual type VIN. 
We next talked about diagnosis of VIN with unfortunately no particular screening strategy to note. Um, physical exam is really what you have to do to find VIN. What does it look like? Really variable. A lot of the times the lesions are raised um, and there's some sort of discoloration of the skin. Biopsy is needed to make definitive diagnosis. Remember, you should always biopsy postmenopausal patients with apparent genital warts or women of all ages with genital warts if topical therapies have previously failed. Colposcopy can also be useful for assessment. Ways that we treat include surgery, laser ablation, and medical therapy, and we definitely need to treat all vulvar H cell. Surgery should be a wide local excision and should include gross margins of 0.5 to 1 centimeter around the tissue if possible. However, understand that if the lesion is in a critical area, such as the clitoris, the urethra, anus, or other structures that would lead to psychosexual function um, issues with your patient, and you don't feel that you are able to successfully remove those areas with your level Level of expertise, um, it's really important that you refer. Laser ablation therapy is another option if occult invasion is not a concern and can be used across a wide variety of lesions. As with excision, you should have a half to one centimeter margin to treat, and unlike genital warts, the entire thickness of the epithelium needs to be treated with laser ablation therapy. Medical therapy includes things like topical and miquimod. However, regimens that have been published involve three times per week application for 12 to 20 weeks. Um, reassessment should be done at four to six weeks, and at that point, if there are residual lesions, they should undergo surgical treatment. Regrettably, with these lesions, recurrence rates are as high as 9 to 50% with any treatment regimen. Um, recurrence, though, is typically lower in patients who are successfully treated surgically. Women with vulvar H cell are at high risk of recurrence during their lifetime, and so certainly surveillance visits are indicated. If there's a complete response to therapy, surveillance visits should be scheduled at 6 and 12 months after the initial treatment um, with a visual inspection of the vulva to assess for new lesions. All right, I think that brings us to the end of this episode, Nick. Um, so once again, this is Faye. This is Nick. And this has been Creogs Over Coffee. So guys, if you enjoyed this episode, head on over to iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, whatever your podcatcher is, and give us a five-star rating and review. You can find us on social media, on Twitter at CreogsOverCoff1, on Facebook and Instagram at CreogsOverCoffee. And if you want to support the show, go ahead and go into our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash CreogsOverCoffee. You can find show notes for this episode, as well as all of our previous episodes and the Rosh Review Question of the Week on our website, CreogsOverCoffee.com. And if you have a suggestion for the show or a correction from one of our previous shows, go ahead and email us, creogsrivercoffee at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.